Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. We hope to enrich your life through reaching, serving, giving, and building. As you listen to this teaching, be inspired to fulfill your God-given destiny through the power of His Word. Fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're kicking off a series for the month of November. And I I want to encourage you, don't miss a single Sunday this month. These are going to be great installments as we talk about a city on a hill. A city on a hill. And I think this is going to be a great dialogue for us as we begin to discover who God has called us and created us to be as a community of faith, as the church. This is a, a series about vision. And I think the Bible paints a beautiful picture of who we're supposed to be, what God has called us to and, uh, and this is a, a great chance for us to evaluate where we are based on the blueprints of what God has given us. City on a Hill, Matthew chapter 5. This is taken from one of the most famous sermons Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 13, the words of our Lord, Jesus said this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Everybody say Salt. Now, I know there are different translations and versions of the Bible. If some of you may be reading the KJN version, the Cajun version of the Bible, and it says Tony Sashtries right there. It says, you are the Tonys. Come on, hum at me. Mm. <sighs> Aren't you thankful for Tonys? How many take, just carry a little stash of that with you everywhere you go, just in case? You're the salt of the earth, the Tonys. It's interesting how salt, in order for it to function completely, it has to get out of the shaker. You don't just keep it in the container, but it's supposed to get out of what it's in and come in contact with something that is bland. Are you catching this? This is a great picture of who we're supposed to be as the body of Christ. You're the Tony Sacheries, the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. In other words, if salt loses its flavor, it's useless. It it adds very little value. He goes on to say in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Somebody say light. So he's saying salt and he's saying light. You're the light of the world like a city on a hilltop. There it is. Right there in scripture. City on a hill. It's taken out of this passage. Light of the world, the salt of the earth, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Do you know that God, as as the body of Christ, has called us in this earth to stand up, to stand out, and to change the world around us? He says, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. I thought this was important. And the idea that I, that I had when I read this, how many of you, you have small kids and you play hide and seek at your house? How many of you grandparents play hide and seek with the little ones? You know, when, when our kids were little, they could, I mean, they were brilliant at hide and seek. How many know their little bodies can find the tiniest spaces and places, all the little nooks and crannies? These kids just disappear. You know, I can remember one time, Alexa, when she was little, she hid in a place, and I'm begging. How many know they can hear us when we call their name? I'm like, Alexa, I'm getting a little scared. Girl, where are you? And she's just tucked away, hidden. I would have never found her. 
But you know what I've learned? As a big guy, I can't play hide-and-seek that well. How many parents realize that your hiding options are limited? I can't fit in those little tiny spaces, you know. This six-foot-two frame, 200 pounds, all muscle. <laughs> I can't find a little place. I got to hide behind a curtain, you know what I'm saying? Daddy, we see you. You know, I don't hide very well. And my prayer for us as a church, I pray we don't hide very well. I pray we don't just blend into culture. There's got to be something about us that's different. Come on, somebody. Now, I'm not talking about being different to draw attention to yourself. I'm talking about being different in order to make a difference. How many of you know that the world, why would the world ever come to the church if when they get here, all they're going to find is more of themselves? Hello? There's got to be something in the house that's salt. It distinguishes us. It's light. It shines. Jesus said, like a city on a hill. There's got to be an elevation. I want to put this city up on a hill for visibility. Can I tell you, when the goodness of God flows through his body, he wants it to be evidenced in the world. A city that's on a hill. I think that's interesting, uh, a concept, especially in our region based on the flooding that we went through back in August. How many of you know that when the rains came, people were looking for higher elevation? We were looking for higher ground. Sometimes we didn't realize the low-lying areas that we lived in, in our neighborhoods and in our communities. But when that water table began to rise, we were looking for higher ground. Jesus said, I want you to be a city that's not necessarily in a basin, not even on a bayou. Come on, if you got to build a levee, put the city on a levee. Come on, talk to me. Find higher ground, a city that's on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, look at what he says here. Verse 15, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. And when that lamp is on a stand, it gives light to everyone in the house. I believe that God wants to put the church in a position of elevation where it, it, it brings light to the entire community. It illuminates some of the dark places, the difficult places of the world in which we live, where it gives light to everyone in the house. Finally, verse 16, he says this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine. Somebody say shine. Now, why is it that God wants good deeds to shine? Is it to make ourselves a little more popular? Is it to build a name for us? Is it about us becoming a celebrity? Is it about us becoming famous? How many of you know that the mission of the church is to do good deeds that shine light on who? That's right. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Can I have a good amen? amen. I love this. I, I love the reading of this scripture, the picture that God paints for us to be a city that's on a hill. Now, when you came in this morning, you received a, a handout. I want to draw your attention to it, if you would. Just take a few moments. In, in, in service, I wanted to talk through some of the dynamics of this. We call this 320. There's a specific Sunday 
in December. Now, we'll take the month of November and we'll talk about being a city on a hill and how that looks and what that means for us in a practical way. But, uh, but I wanted to, to make sure that you knew that the first Sunday of December, December 4th, we call that 320 Sunday. This may be new information to some. Some of you that have been here for a while, you understand this language and this culture. You know what this means. It's an opportunity for us across all of our campuses. We've got uh, almost a dozen campuses that will be participating in this same opportunity to be able to give back based on God's generosity toward us, toward the vision of the house. And uh, um, December 4th, we'll be doing that, participating in this 320 offering. You say, Mike, why do you call it 320? It's based on the scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. And I love that. I love the, the opportunity to be able to be that in this community. If you, and then you can read this on your own. It's got some good information here. But, but really, I wanted to draw your attention to a couple of key things. At the beginning of the year in January, God gave us the word build. And I find that very interesting, build. We've had a very unique year as a city, as a community, as a region. And, you know, what we walked through in the month of July with all of the, 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 shoot, the shootings on the street and the, the civilians and officers that were slain. And, and then the following month with the flood, a lot of things being torn apart in our community. Yet the word God gave us at the beginning of the year was the word build. Now, many of us are in a season of rebuilding. You know, and as we move into the holidays, I thought, you know, the holidays are going to be different for a lot of people and a lot of families this year. And I really I want to be sensitive to the need, the, the heartbeat of what's happening in this region. And, and I felt uncomfortable saying uh, on this stage, encouraging you to give toward a building when many of you are displaced and not even in your homes currently. And so I thought, you know, well, Lord, what do you want 320 to look like this year? As we give you know, toward the vision of this church, how can we leverage those resources to help people best? And you know what I felt God tell me? He says, listen, make it about people and not about buildings. You know, as we move into Thanksgiving, there'll be a, a lot of families that their Thanksgiving is going to look different. I thought, well, wouldn't that be cool if out of this moment we could give and resource families in a way and provide Thanksgiving meals, not just for hundreds but thousands of people across this region? You know what we're going to do? In fact, this, this little insert will give you, you know, kind of a heads up. We, we put this in the handout. This is what holiday outreach is going to look like for us. Here's what 320 is going to enable us to do. We're going to prepare 10,000 Thanksgiving meals, 10,000. All across this region, in Denham, North Baton Rouge, and here in South Baton Rouge and into Ascension, we're going to prepare hot meals, and we're also going to give Thanksgiving kits, supplying the groceries for families who want to do their own Thanksgiving dinner but don't have the resources to be able to do it. How many think that's a pretty good idea? I love that. And then if you notice, uh, as we move into Christmas, again, I wanted to provide Christmas toys for thousands of girls and boys, families, moms and dads that aren't able to provide Christmas. And some of you, when you came in, walked through the concourse, you saw the different displays. We're going to be able to give Christmas gifts to uh, cancer patients, flood victims, children of the inner city, single moms, giving gifts, and then giving out so many gift cards so that parents can go and purchase gifts for their children and have some sense of commitment 
community. And I just felt like if we would leverage the resources in this 320 offering on December 4th to add value to people, then God would take care of the buildings and the, the facilities that we have here. How many agree with me on that? Now, don't get me wrong. During the flood, we had three buildings that took on water. Many of you know the annex took on four inches. Uh, our Baton Rouge Dream Center took on three feet of water. And our facility in Denham Springs got six feet of water. And what I love about you is you were quickly able to, to recover, to transform these buildings. Even though that they were flooded and affected, those were the staging points for all of the relief that we did for weeks and weeks and weeks throughout this region. You know, just to give you a quick update in Denham, And I love the sovereignty of God because we wanted to be in Denham, you know, prior to the flooding. In fact, our plan was to be able to launch a campus in Denham Springs at Easter this year. And, you know, I wanted to get out there and start having church. But how many of you know God says it's more important to be the church than to have church? And so that was an opportunity for us. We used that building as a warehouse to be able to serve thousands of people in Livingston Parish. And I thought, man, what a powerful opportunity for us as a church. Many of you know 15 months ago, we bought five acres and 50,000 square foot building, and we paid cash for it. And thank God. I thank God for his faithfulness and for your commitment and your stewardship. Felt like the Lord said, don't get into any more debt. Don't add to the debt that you carry. But as the resource comes in, I'll supply the need. You build as you go. So we bought that property and that facility on cash. It was about a million dollars. And to God be the glory. Now we've got some work to do. Okay, how are we going to build this thing out? You know, the construction process for, for that campus Uh, the, the overall price tag of that, and forgive me, I'm not trying to turn this into a business meeting, but I want you to know the business of the church. Uh, the, the cost to remodel that facility is $2.3 million, dollars, and if you add FF&E and some of the sound and lighting and technology, it's going to be right at $3 million, okay? Now, this is a testimony to your stewardship. We've been very disciplined in our spending you know, over the last several years. We've been able to set aside $2 million dollars toward that that project. $2 million dollars cash. $3 million dollar project. $2 million dollars we have set aside. So guess what? There's about a million dollar gap. How many of you know God is big enough to take care of the gaps? God can fit. So this holiday season for 320, when we give, We're going to give toward families in need. We're going to take care of thousands of people, helping to provide Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas gifts for families. And then we're going to trust God that that facility in Denham is going to be complete. And I'm believing that by the fall of next year, we'll be able to move in, open those doors, and say, listen, let's be the best church we can be in Livingston Parish for God's people there. Amen. Somebody say, City on a Hill. God's called us to stand up, to stand out, and to produce change. Now, I, I want to shift gears for just a moment and say, okay, well, what's the topic for today? How do we do that? How do we become a city on a hill? I want to talk to you for the time that we have remaining. I want to talk to you about the word holiness. Somebody say holiness. What does holiness, when I say holy, what comes to your mind? Maybe some of you, it's the jeans that you're wearing today. Holy, what mental pictures, what images do you get? Remember, we're talking about being a city on a hill, different in order to make a difference. What does holiness look like? I, I talked to my parents uh, about this concept. I think it's interesting. Did you know that there are 33,000 different denominational churches in America? 
33,000. Okay, I want you to get denomination. It comes from the word denominator, which means divided by, division. At one time, there was one church, but then that church kind of had some issues and split off. They broke off from that church, and, and they created two. And then they didn't see eye to eye, and they split off. And that's how denominations, well, we feel a little bit differently. Well, we don't interpret it this way. Well, we think it's like this. And one split after another split led to 33,000 different denominations. How many of you know when it comes to holiness, that can be a little confusing? Well, who's right? Which denomination is actually preaching it and teaching it right? In my family and in Rachel's family, we kind of, we're like a gumbo of different denominations. How many of you, before you came to Healing Place, you came from a denominational church? Yeah, I I did too. And God bless all the denominations. But I don't think when we get to heaven, they're going to be denominations. I don't think there's going to be a Baptist section in heaven. There's not going to be a Pentecostal section in heaven. Well, over here are the Methodists back there, the Lutherans. Look out. You know? (laughs) I just, I read my Bible, I don't see any of it. How many of you know denomination was man-made? It was, it was man's idea to divide. It's God's idea to unite, okay? But so in our family, we, we kind of have a different gumbo of denominational backgrounds. My, my dad grew up Assembly of God. My mom was four square. Some of you don't even know what four square is. It's like, is that a game? You know, four square. <laughs> Um, Rachel's dad was United Pentecostal, and, and her mom spent a lot of time in the church of God. And so, you know, when you kind of look at the different expressions of church and the different nuances of faith, and when you talk about holiness, sometimes it can be a little confusing. I called my parents. I said, talk to me about what holiness meant to you. My dad said, well, holiness was we couldn't go to movies. Because how many of you know, you wouldn't want to be caught in a movie theater when Jesus came back, right? How many of you heard that? Don't you dare go to the movie house. What what if Jesus were to come back while you're sitting in that movie theater and you are left behind? Which is a movie, by the way. (laughs) He said we couldn't go to movies. My mom said that they were never allowed to play with a deck of cards. You couldn't play any game that had a deck of cards or dice. It was just because it's too close to gambling. Neither one of my parents could attend their junior or senior prom because there's dancing up in that prom. Mm, You best be careful when you start to dancing. Somebody like, well, Pastor, we see you dance just about every Sunday. Uh, uh, uh. Mm. I don't think dancing is a sin. You just got to make sure you're dancing with the right partner. Come on, somebody. Um, <laughs> again, we're, we're kind of talking through holiness here. Um, some pastors would preach against TV and said that you were in sin if you had a TV in your house because that, that, the TV was the devil in a box, right? Um, clothes. Talk about clothing. Uh, my mom would not be able to dress out for P.E. She, she had her parent, her parents would write a note to the P.E. teacher asking for permission if she not participate because being in P.E., if you dressed out, you had to wear shorts, and they weren't allowed to wear shorts. Come on now. I'm, I'm, does anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you're over 30, some of you, this is very real to you. So you couldn't wear shorts. So then this, this, this thing called culottes. 
Come on, ladies. How many remember the culottes? Oh, yes, indeed. Kind of long pant deal, kind of spread out a little bit. It was long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to keep you free. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, and I see, I see some good friends, Tony and Julie. We were talking about this um, last week. Uh, but, but coming out of the United Pentecostal movement, uh, Tony said that you could always gauge how the Spirit of God moved based on the number of bobby pins that you had to pick up off the floor. <laughs> you know, because all the bobby, you know. And it's just funny, some of the traditions. Come on, how many are with me? And, and, and some, how do you measure holiness? What does it look like in the modern church? How do, have we expressed that across denominations? But what does the Bible say? I think there's some misconceptions about holiness. Somewhere along the line, we've kind of bought the idea that holy people are grumpy people. Right? I mean, they're just grouchy people. Why? Because they can't do anything. <laughs> you know? My dad said that he was told his whole life, you know, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't chew, and you don't date girls who do. <laughs> it, 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 there, there's some, sometimes we, we talk about the, the, the things that we can't do. So I guess only holy people are, are monks and missionaries and, and ministers. Can I tell you, the Bible paints a beautiful picture of holiness. If you want to see what holiness is about, look at the life of Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of what it means to be set apart. In fact, the word holy literally means to be set apart for specific use. Okay? Holy, to, to be set apart for specific use. Now, when I talk about this, and I know we're having fun, but there's really balance that we have to bring to this issue. Because if we're not careful, we can go from one extreme to the other. We, we can measure holiness by a bunch of externals right? And if you're not careful, you'll get very legalistic. There's a, there's a legalistic side to holiness that can create a lot of, of damage in the body of Christ today. You know, if you carry a legalistic mindset, then it does become about laws. It, it becomes about lines. It becomes about everything that you can't do. And it's easy to fall into judgment and criticism of others, right? Are you with me? How many of you know sometimes we can take this book, this book that, that we call the Bible, and it was meant to be a love letter, and it's the heart of God for people, but we can take this book and we can turn it into a baseball bat, and we can beat people down with it. Sometimes I've seen a religious mindset that will take holiness and use it as a billy club to beat people down and punish people or criticize or make me better than you. I've read the Holy Scriptures. I am a holy man. Don't let your filthiness interfere with my perimeter of holiness. And yet Jesus was the embodiment of what holiness is all about. And I want you to consider this. Tax collectors loved being around Jesus. These notorious sinners, these sinful people, they wanted to take Jesus out to lunch. Prostitutes were at his feet. Come on, somebody. Children felt comfortable enough to crawl up into the lap of Jesus, and yet here is the holiness of heaven that has come down to earth. How many of you know we got a little to learn about holiness? We got to change. If we're not careful, the one side of holiness is legalistic. 
But then the other side, the other extreme can be sloppy. You know, well, I'm in Christ. Don't judge me. I can do whatever I want. Live like I want. Talk like I want. Hey, don't put your holy expectations on me. I'm free in Jesus. And we use that as an excuse to do the things that we want to do. But if we attach Jesus' name to it, then we're going to be all right. How many's ever gone bowling and you needed those bumper rails to keep you out of the gutter? We can go from one extreme to the other. And so what I want to do today in talking about holiness, I want to bring some balance to this. The scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, read this with me. But you are a chosen, somebody say chosen. You are a chosen generation, a royal, somebody say royal, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, say holy. Uh, it says, you are his own special people. Somebody say special. I love those adjectives. You are chosen, you're royal, you are holy, you are special. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How many of you know that holiness is not for other people to look at you, but holiness is for other people to see God? Through you. If you're taking notes, write this down. Write this down. Number one, God has chosen us. Chosen. Holiness is not anything that we can point to and brag about because it's not something that we achieve. It's not something that we produce by following a certain list of rules. In fact, if we're not careful, we become identified more by the things that we're against than the things that we're for. I'd hate to be known as the guy that's against this and against that and against this and against that. And man, he don't agree with that. And man, man, that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The, holiness is not restriction from everything that you can't do. Holiness is empowerment for everything that you can do, for everything that God has created you to do, everything God has ever wanted you to be. You're empowered to step into the freedom of that through this thing called holiness. And it doesn't come from us. It's God choosing us. It's about position. It's about being in Christ. In fact, I'll tell you this. Holiness is a heart issue. Now, we can talk about certain things, about how we look on the outside, but at the core, holiness is about the condition of your heart. My concern is there are so many dangers when we dress up the outside, but we haven't changed the inside. You see, being holy doesn't make me better than you. Being holy makes me better than me. Do, do, do you understand that? Being holy is not about me bragging about, oh, I act better than you. I behave better than you. All those things are externals. Holiness is a heart issue, and it doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than the original me. Do you know yourself? Do you know your capabilities? How many of you don't trust yourself in certain situations and circumstances? How many know that your flesh has power and, and your spirit may want to do the right thing? Sometimes the spirit is willing, but guess what? The flesh, oh my goodness. Holiness isn't for me to brag about how better I am than you, but it shows me, hey, I am, the, the, the me that I want to be, holiness allows me to step into that. Does that make sense? 
This is so important because Jesus never used holiness to hurt anybody. There was something endearing. Here the embodiment of, of holiness touches earth and people were drawn to him. Holiness, God has chosen us. This is about position. It's not about performance. It's not about what we achieve. It's not about my acumen, what I've accomplished. It's not about that. How many of you know that in order to get into the family of God, there is no audition? Aren't you glad you don't have to audition to find approval? But guess what? How do you get in the family? Okay, let me ask you this question. How did you get into your family? You were born into it, okay? You didn't choose your family. How many know God chose that? When, when you joined the family, the day you were born, I think about my kids, and I love these children. I mean, but how did they get into my family? I didn't pick them. <laughs> they didn't pick me either. Come on, somebody. They were born as Hamans. Now, as a parent, I've got to teach them the value of what being a Haman is. But they joined the family without audition, without having to earn it. In fact, the birth into this family gave them all the rights and responsibilities that come with being a Haman. Tell you this, you are sons and daughters by birth and not by worth. Let me explain it, because sometimes we feel like we have to earn our way into something. Our value comes based on what we do. No, 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 hear my heart. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus did for you. How do you get to be a part of the family of God? You, you become born again. The salvation experience by position puts us into family. And so now I'm a son by birth and not by worth. This was the problem with the prodigal. Because when the prodigal messed up, man, he, he, he took his inheritance and he just spent it all on prostitutes and parties and crazy living. When he finally came to himself, you know what he did? He said, guess what? I'll go home, but I'll beg that my dad take me back as a hired servant. And I can just see him, you know, as he's mapping, he's on his way back home and he's rehearsing this conversation that he's going to have with his dad. He's going to try to convince his dad, would you take me back and let me just be a hired hand? Let me be a servant. Listen, you didn't come into the family by worth. You came in by birth. What was he met with when he came back to the house? Not a dad of judgment and criticism. Well, 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 look what the cat drug in. Come over here, boys. I told you so, he'd come crawling back. No. The Bible says that when that father saw his son a long way off, what did he do? <laughs> you see that blazing speed right there? I thought I was going to pull a hamstring when I did that. He ran to him. The grace of God met him. It was a picture of an eternal loving father. For a son who doesn't always act right. But how many of you know just because your kids don't act right, you don't kick them out the family? Bless God. I can't believe you did that. Get on out of here. You better change your last name. No, no, no. There was love. There was affirmation. There was grace. You're a part of family. Number one, God has chosen. Here's what you need to know about holiness. We've been chosen by God. Position. But the second thing and I want you to consider this, and this is powerful too. 
Number two, God has not only chosen us, but number two, God is changing us. Aren't you thankful? And notice how I'm using that word changing as an active present tense verb, meaning the process isn't complete, but it's happening as we speak. You see, the first is about position, but now the second is about practice. Holiness first is a heart issue, but then somewhere along the line, holiness has to move from our hearts into our habits. Can I have a good amen? Check this out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul said it this way. He says, work out. Somebody say, work out. Mm, you got to work. What does that mean? Gym membership? Is God telling me to join a gym? Need to work out? No, no. Paul's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who works in. Notice this. This is beautiful language. God has already worked in. So now we have the responsibility to work out. You see, salvation is about God's work in you. And once you're in family by position, then there's a certain practice. There, there are certain habits. There are certain choices. There are certain decisions that we make because we're a part of the family of God. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, one translation says this, it's God who gives you the motivation and the desire to do what pleases him. Can I tell you this? As brothers and sisters, a part of the same family, ultimately what guides our actions is one simple question. Lord, what is it that's pleasing to you? Every day we wake up, God, how can I please you? You know what? When you ask yourself that question, it's one of the most powerful questions. God, what pleases you? Do you know that the answer to that question will influence how you spend your time, how you spend your money, the places that you go, the friends that you keep? where you make your investments, what you watch on television. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic. That's why I first had to establish that holiness is a heart issue. But then once God has worked in us, there is an outworking that comes from us. You see, too many times in the past we've measured holiness by the things that we do or don't do. We've got a lot of lines here. Well, if I can stay within this line, then I'm holy. And, and then it becomes very religious because we have lines. Or the other the extreme is loopholes. I'm looking for a loophole. Well, I, I want to do what I want to do, but then I'll just attach Jesus' name to it and it'll be all right. Well, you know, if I can't find a scripture in the Bible that's against it, then maybe God's for it. Come on, somebody. How many of you know that holiness is not about lines and it's not about loopholes, but it's about love? Lord, I love you. Well, what does that mean? That means then we wake up every day with a desire to please Jesus. Lord, is this pleasing to you? Is what I'm about to watch on TV, is that pleasing to you? God, is, is what I'm about to, to, to spend my time doing, participating in, Lord, is this pleasing 
to you. I'm telling you what, if you realize holiness isn't measured by how well you behave, but it's really more about how much you love, then all of a sudden now there's freedom. I'll tell you this, when, when Rachel and I got married, I, I remember 20 years ago, standing there, watching her come down the altar. We made promises to God and to each other. I'm going to tell you what, that moment was filled with so much love. Goodness gracious, I married, I married well. I love that girl. She married pretty good too. Can I have a good amen? I'm just teasing. That was so self-serving. But I want you to see how man, we make a decision to get in a relationship based on love. Do you know what she has never done in 20 years of marriage? She has never said, before I leave for work, she's never said, hey, you better not cheat on me, boy. If you cheat on me, I will cut you. She's never once threatened me. Man, that's such a bondage. Oh, see, sometimes you can look at it as, oh, well, it's such a bondage. There's all these boundaries. No, 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 no. It's based on love. I love that girl. And because I love her, there are some things that I won't do, some things I won't look at. I choose not to. Why? Not because I feel like I'm bound, but because my love has liberated me, I will demonstrate my love for her by choosing not to do some things so I can invest my best in us. You see, th this is where holiness gets a bad rap. And too many times we've heard preachers condemning others. I'm going to tell you this. The Holy Spirit is not into condemnation. He's not. Don't let some guy in a suit with a big old Bible condemn you when you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction on your life. If you're in error, if there's some parts of your life that aren't pleasing to the Lord, I want to tell you this, the Holy Spirit will talk to you about those. And you don't need anybody beating you down under some religious, you know, baseball bat to get you to act better. It's not about you acting better. It's about God transforming your heart. And it's about you loving him more. And out of that love comes a desire to do what pleases him. Can I have a good amen? Mm -mm 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 -mm. Thank you, Lord. In fact, I, I'm looking at the clock. I've run out of time. I'm going to ask the band to come up. You know, this is, this is an important. I want you to know that what I'm talking to you about today is not an expectation that I'm placing on you. That, that I don't apply to my own life. You know, that Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and I love this verse. He says, Paul's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Christians, and he tells them, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. In other words, he's saying this, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, I'm free. I can do this. I can do that. Just because you can do it doesn't mean that it's wise. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to do it. And there, there are so many decisions that we make in life that if we would ask the question, Lord, what is it that pleases you? It'll help us as a parent. It'll help us when it comes to how we structure our finances. It'll help us in friendships and relationships. It'll keep us from falling into the traps of the enemy. You see, when you live to please yourself, 
you play right into the devil's hand. And you can make decisions to please you that only bring about pain. And can I tell you this? When you do things that hurt you, it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts everybody that loves you. See, I was thinking about this word holiness and, you know, I just feel like it's important for me as your pastor. This has got to be something that I'm pursuing. Now, now granted, I'm just as human as the rest of us. I, I, I'm not perfect. We say that every Sunday. I'm not perfect, but I serve the one who is. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. I pray that as you're moving toward Christ's likeness, that he is transforming you. He's refining. I just feel like it's important for me that what's happening in my life is pure. And, and, and that, that what I'm able to present you is something that comes from a place of honesty and sincerity. Again, not perfection. But there's a pursuit of holiness in my life. How many things it's important that I stand up here and I'm in right standing with God? Because if I'm not acting right, if I'm, involved, if I'm looking at things I shouldn't be looking, if I'm opening up my spirit to things that could pollute my soul, contaminate my mind, how many of you know that doesn't just hurt me? But that impacts you. And I remember Brother Larry Stockstill coming about four and a half years ago. And we had lunch one day with, with him and Sister Melanie, Rachel and I. After church, we went and had lunch together. And he told me something. He said, Mike, as pastor of Healing Place Church, you are now a gatekeeper. You're a gatekeeper. There's a spiritual family over there on Highland Road. And you're responsible to guard the gate. And this is what he said. Whatever you give access into your life, you give entrance into the life of the church. And so if you're involved in something that's a detriment to your soul, then you're actually birthing that into the spiritual family. God has called us as pastors to be gatekeepers. And I feel such a, a, a major responsibility. Again, n- not out of perfection, but, but hopefully I'm making some progress. Hopefully, like you, I'm in a journey that says, Lord, what is it that's going to please you? And then that will determine what I wear. That will determine how I spend my time, what I put in front of me, who I allow into my life. Because I think it's so important. Those that are around us can be blessed by what the Spirit of God is doing in us. You see, holiness, now all of a sudden, it becomes really, really, really important, does it not? Tell you why. Because holiness is always tied to purpose. Holiness is tied to purpose. God in the earth will use holy men and women to affect change. To be a city on a hill. It's not about perfection. But it is about this. When you mess up, you bring it to the Lord. When he begins to speak to you about things in your life that that aren't pleasing to him, man, it's drawing you out of love. And it's your love responding to that, that lays it at his feet and says, God, forgive me. I want to be more like you. Thank you for listening. For more information about Healing Place Church, go to healingplacechurch.org or give us a call at 225-753-2273.